but I think it's important to actually pause and to take a moment to practice some self-compassion here. Exactly what you've said, Jackie, we don't get taught this stuff or we didn't get taught this stuff. I often joke with my clients who went to the class at school on how to look after yourself, who went yeah. to the class at school on how to deal with messy, uncomfortable human emotions. You know, we didn't get taught that stuff and we probably didn't learn it at home. So mm. of course we don't know it, but then we beat ourselves up for not knowing what we don't know. So yeah, I think to take a moment to be gentle and kind with ourselves in all of this, mm. because we haven't been shown, but just because we haven't known how to do it doesn't mean that we can't learn. And it doesn't mean that there aren't small simple steps that we can start taking for ourselves welcome to the australian weight loss surgery podcast where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey we'll hear from a range of experts including bariatric surgeons psychologists patients and dietitians sharing up-to-date informative advice to help fast track your long-term weight loss success hi and thanks for joining us on the next episode of the australian weight loss surgery podcast Today's episode, we're exploring all things self-care with Emma Gray, our clinical psychologist guest for the day. Emma is a master's in clinical psychology and also a meditation teacher. And what's beautiful is the way Emma also shares her own lived experience with exhaustion and fatigue and burnout from how busy lives becoming unbalanced. So Throughout the episode, we get, you know, some fantastic tools and an understanding of what self-care actually is and how important it is to bring it into our everyday lives when we're trying to make better health choices as well. So using the analogy of, you know, filling our own cup up so that we've got enough to give to others. And I think Emma presents that just beautifully in this episode. It was a lot of fun and she's certainly an inspiration and just a wonderful person to be around as well. So welcome, Emma. Great. Thank you, Jackie. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. And you're not only a psychologist, so I shouldn't say that, should I? Can you tell me a little bit more about psychology seems to be one of the, the other things you do outside mm-hmm. of what we're going to talk about today. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So I also give myself the title of meditation teacher and coach. Because one of my passions really is meditation and mindfulness and holistic well-being. There's so many benefits to it. I won't bore you with that today because I know that's not the focus of our conversation today. But really, I work with people to help them figure out how to be their best self, whatever that is for them and whatever their goals and their desires are. So that's my passion is to just help others. Yeah. Yeah. I think Mm. it absolutely is your passion because every time Mm. we talk about it, you're just like busting and bursting Mm. with excitement and smiling faces and all that sort of stuff. You're very inspiring even to be around. So it's wonderful to have you on the show. Today, we're going to talk about self-care. It's one of those things that everyone goes, oh, like what even is that? Or Mm. what does that look like? Or Mm. how do I do that? And Mm. I think it's something that is really important, particularly for our audience after weight loss surgery. It's a journey into looking after yourself. And perhaps it's the first time they've really paid attention to how to do that. Can you walk me through your understanding of self-care and its best kind of explanation? Sure, yeah. So self-care I like to think of as not just physical well-being and looking after your physical self, which of course we all know is sleep and exercise and eating well and all of that, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But also mental and emotional well-being, spiritual self-care, if that feels relevant to the listeners, looking after our whole being 
and putting strategies and practices in place that really look after all those different aspects of ourselves. Yeah, and I think there, you know, we're looking at, when I listen to that understanding of it, I see a big circle like a pie graph in my head and that is like sections of ourselves that need to be maintained and attended to on a regular basis for the whole circle to function and I guess turn like a nice healthy wheel without square parts to the bottom and that sort of thing. So to keep us rolling along through life in a forward motion, I see that most of these areas need to be kind of tended to on a regular basis. Is that kind of where you're heading? Yeah, and it's a beautiful way of thinking about it, actually, Jackie, that those different elements and, you know, because they're all interconnected, they all Mm. relate to one another. And if one part is out of balance, then our will won't turn smoothly. So, yeah, absolutely looking after all of those different aspects of our being. Yeah, Yeah. kind of getting rid of the clunky wheel. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Well, that, that would be nice. It's we're like all, when you have a... <laughs> I mean, we're all a bit clunky. We're all a bit messy. We're human beings. We're all yeah. works in progress. But <laughs> sure, some of us might be a little more clunky than others, definitely. Yes, it's like flying along the freeway with a flat tyre, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah. And I've we can been take there. that out a little I've, bit. <laughs> I have been a total flat tyre. Yeah, absolutely. No life, no air. I've got my hand up here too. So, you know, maybe we are human after all. Who knew? Yes. And yeah. so why is it so important? So self-care, can you give me some examples of maybe things that you would equate to someone who's undertaking a healthy self-care regime? Is that somewhere we should go now? Sure. Well, I guess in order to understand the importance of self-care, maybe just to touch on my personal story Hmm. to get an understanding of why it's so important. So I went through a period of my life where I was not practicing self-care. I was a mom. I had young kids. I was trying to work and I was trying to study and (laughs) put my needs away to the bottom of the list. And I ended up depleted, exhausted, stressed, anxious, burnt out, total mess. I was not able to be there for myself. I was not able to be there for my family wasn't functioning well in the areas of my life that were important to me. So while that was painful and uncomfortable, it actually showed me really the importance of looking after ourselves at all of those different levels that we were talking about before, Mm. so that we can show up in the ways that we want to for the people in our lives. Otherwise, we do get stressed out, tired, depleted, exhausted, run down, um, and we're not our best selves. No, it's that existing kind of feeling, isn't it, where you just get up, you do what you do. It's all like a day in, day out kind of drudge rather than skipping through the day and feeling like everything you're doing is kind of coming together to make a big picture and it's something that makes us happy in all areas. I think work life is a big one because we spend so much time in that space and if that's not working you know, if one area of life doesn't seem to be working, it's like, are they all out of sync somewhere? And I think a lot of people do that when things are not going so well in relationship, we'll often immerse ourselves in our work because we go where we feel good and then that will be out of balance and then we're working all the time. And then the one thing that's not working that we wish did work, we're not spending any time looking at it. So I imagine self-care can be a bit uncomfortable because sometimes we do have to look at the yucky parts of things that are not working or broken and work out, you know, what we can do rather than what everybody else has to do to try and fix it and make us happy because that's nobody else's job, is it? 
Yeah, and it makes sense that we would avoid those parts that aren't working hmm. because they're uncomfortable, because they don't feel good when we think about them or when we're, you know, immersed in that part of our world, whatever that is. Yeah. In exactly the same way that we take our fingers off the hot stove because it hurts, <laughs> <laughs> we move away from the parts of our lives that are uncomfortable. So hmm. if we haven't been shown how to do self-care, if we don't know how to do self-care, if that is out of balance, if that tire is flat and clunking along the road, we may avoid that because we don't know what to do and it makes us feel bad when we think about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think we're taught self-care. I mean, I'm in my late 40s, very late. I don't think I was taught how to introspect and how does that feel and what am I doing and, you know, what is that thing I'm doing? Where did that come from and how do I look after myself and how do I advocate for myself? And setting healthy boundaries, all those sorts of things. I can see our children are getting a better education in that now, which is fantastic. And they show us kind of where we're falling down. They'll go, hang on a minute, you know, that's not the right thing to say. And I'm like, gosh, you're like a wise old man and you're 17 years old, but it's different education. And I think in particularly our audience, we're dealing with people who did not grow up with those kind of tools being instilled is it too late for us, Emma? It's absolutely never too late. It's <laughs> never too late. No, absolutely. We can learn to put some things in place, mm. make things a little bit better for ourselves or even a lot better for ourselves. And it doesn't need to be radical overhaul of our life. It can be one small step at a time. Mm. But I think it's important to, to actually pause and to take a moment to practice some self-compassion here. Exactly what you've said, Jackie. We don't get taught this stuff or we yeah. didn't get taught this stuff. I often joke with my clients who went to the class at school on how to look after yourself, who went yeah. to the class at school on how to deal with messy, uncomfortable human emotions. You know, we didn't get taught that stuff and we probably didn't learn it at home. So, mm. of course, we don't know it. But then we beat ourselves up for not knowing what we don't know. So, yeah, I think to take a moment to be gentle and kind with ourselves in all of this mm. because we haven't been shown, but just because we haven't known how to do it doesn't mean that we can't learn and it doesn't mean that there aren't small, simple steps that we can start taking for ourselves. Yeah, and I, I think like looking at for our audience the upheaval of bariatric surgery and the new need for understanding what you're eating, understanding what you're feeling about what you're eating, understanding why you were eating what you were eating and kind of I don't know how much people expect or are surprised by the emotional component and kind of the daily work of looking after your own self. Do you have any tips on like when that comes up in your work? What are you seeing as far as I guess when these things do come up, how do people respond and what can they do in place of their usual response perhaps? Sure, yeah. So whatever we do as human beings, whether it's overeating or undereating or not eating well or any dysfunctional or unhelpful behaviours that we get into, we all have them. Anything you can put the word holic on the end of, workaholic, chocoholic, <laughs> alcoholic, you know, whether it's in small doses or big doses, we all have unhelpful patterns of behaviour. And at the core of it, you know, if it's eating, for example, that we're having trouble with, it always comes down to emotional stuff. And one of two reasons that our eating might be out of whack, 
One is that we're trying to avoid some kind of emotional discomfort or pain, something that we don't want to look at in ourselves, or we're bored and we're looking for more interest, we're looking for more meaning, we're looking for more purpose, we're looking for something more, but we might not know quite what that is. Mm. So one of the first things that I invite my clients to do is to pause. You know, when you have that urge to go and engage in that unhelpful behavior, whatever that is, and just take a moment to check in and ask yourself this question, and it's not an easy question, is how am I feeling? Mm. Maybe I'm tired, maybe I'm restless. Maybe I'm thirsty. Maybe I'm sad. Maybe I'm angry. Maybe I'm anxious. Maybe I'm irritable about something. How am I feeling? Mm. And then to ask myself the next question, what is it that I need now? So if I'm bored, maybe there's something that I want to do that might bring me a sense of meaning or fun. And, you know, maybe it's to call a friend or maybe it's to, you know, explore some new hobby that I want to look up or, or, or something that's going to bring me a sense of interest. If it's that there's some emotional discomfort there, then I invite my clients to start to develop a repertoire of self-soothing skills. Mm. So it might be I'm stressed, so I'm going to have a hot bath, or I'm tired, so I take a nap, or I'm feeling restless, so I might go out into the garden or do some stretching or in some way, starting to meet those needs, whatever they are, mental, emotional, physical needs in ways that may or may not include food. That's, that's and, yeah, broad, isn't it? Is, yeah. And it may not, those answers may not come immediately, but just to start asking those two questions and to start exploring tools and strategies and skills, self-care practices that start to bring a little bit of ease to whatever it is that we might be feeling. And it may not be the first thing you try that is the answer. And then it's the keeping on trying. And I, it's interesting in our group yesterday, I think something came up about, you know, you'll always get what you always got if you always do what you always did. Someone commented and said, yeah, but that's really hard if that's who you've always been. And my response was just keep asking and keep being curious and keep talking to yourself like you're a nutter. But, you know, I think everyone associates talking to yourself with being crazy, but you're actually talking to the parts of you that are needing something. And once you start asking and being curious, those parts of you will go, oh, you're going to take care of me now, are you? And sometimes there's a little rebellion in that and a bit of a, oh, it's a bit late for that or whatever. And I think you really have to be patient with yourself to keep practicing that curiosity and asking those questions and not expecting that it's going to be tomorrow that you get the answer. Yeah, I think curiosity and patience are good words there, Jackie, to, <laughs> to be open to exploring. The answers may not come immediately or the first thing we try may not be the right thing or the best thing, but it's through exploration, it's through curiosity, it's through trying and experimenting. We will start to discover the different things that make us feel good. I know for me, when I was back in that place of burnout and, and stress and... <laughs> my life was a mess. I didn't find the answers straight away. And I didn't have a lot of energy to go looking for the answers. No, but that's bit true. By, bit by bit, you know, I tried some things and I discovered some things and I found the things that worked for me mm. through trial and error. So the answers do come, but yeah, just to be kind with ourselves in the process and not mm. to put pressure in ourselves that we have to reinvent ourselves overnight because 
that doesn't feel good when we try mm. to put too much pressure on ourselves in all of it anyway. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. And I was just mm. thinking when we're talking about all these things, can you give me some examples of what people might put into those places? And I know that when we're trying to take something out of the brain or the habit mm-hmm. kind of portfolio, mm-hmm. when we're doing that, we need to replace it with something that gives mm-hmm. us kind of the same kick or benefit or feeling. Mm. What sort of things would you put in place for, you know, people who are trying to change that, you know, when I'm stressed, I go to food. Mm. What else can we do? Sure. So you might ask yourself, what's relaxing for me? So it might be to put on some music that I like, or it might be to spend some time in nature or to go and pat my dog, or maybe it's a little, you know, go and sit in the sunshine for a while. Maybe it's to have a warm shower. Whatever it is, you know, we all have different things. Mm. For me, it was meditation, mindfulness and yoga. They transformed my life and I could talk for hours about that. Again, I know that's a different conversation. (laughs) We can can have some more conversations. (laughs) It's finding things that relax me, either that bring me mental relaxation or physical relaxation Mm. because they're two different things. Sometimes if we've been working a lot, you know, physically, we want to have physical rest. If we've been working a lot mentally, we want to have mental rest. Yeah. So different things will bring about the answers to that. Absolutely. So looking at self-care as an Mm -hmm. umbrella, why do you think we find it difficult? Like a lot of people are like, oh, I'm too busy for that, or I need to do things for others, or Mm. I'm, you know, I've got a family, like how could I ever go and have Mm. a hot bath when the moment takes me? And I think that's Mm. kind of a almost a knee-jerk reaction to a new habit and a new part of kind of claiming yourself and setting Mm. some healthy boundaries with family members or whoever it is Mm. that you live with. Why do we find that so hard? Yeah, it's a really good question. And part of it comes down to what we were talking about before, Jackie, is that we don't know what we don't know. Maybe we haven't been taught, maybe we haven't been shown. But also that the society that we're living in doesn't give us permission. Mm. What is really celebrated in our society is being busy and productive and doing more and pushing ourselves and more, 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 you know, be more, do more, have more, this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and there's this pressure on ourselves and pressure from our culture that we have to be, you know, the right partner and the right employee or the right boss or the right parent or the right child or the right, you know, all of these roles that we have to fulfill. <laughs> in our culture, in our society, that often we will put ourselves way to the bottom of the list. It happens for men, but particularly there's pressure on women to do that. And we get this message that we're selfish or indulgent or lazy if we do something for ourselves. So the first step is really acknowledging that we're just a product of our culture and our conditioning and we've been trained not to look after ourselves so not to give ourselves a hard time about that. But also maybe to start to reframe or shift how we think about self-care and doing things for ourselves. That it's not selfish because if we don't do things for ourselves, if we put ourselves to the bottom of the list, then we do start to feel tired, depleted, burnt out, run down, all of that stuff that we were talking about before. And so That's not helping us. And from that space, we can't help anyone else either. So that's a lose-lose. Whereas instead of calling it selfish, let's call it looking after ourselves so that we can 
replenish ourselves so that we can revitalize ourselves so that we can have more energy, more joy, we can feel better in ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's a win for us. But also from that place, we have more to give to everyone around us. So it's a win-win. Yeah. So our culture says put ourselves last. That's the best thing for everyone. But actually to put ourselves first or at least to have that in balance is a win-win for everyone. Mm, That's a great point. And I think it's also about when we do make these decisions and we go, okay, here I'm going to do self-care. I'm going to start doing having a shower when I get home. It's my way of getting the day off and it just gives me that time to kind of land, I suppose, and be who I am at home rather than who I've been at work and what I've experienced there. When we're going to start doing this self-care thing and people aren't used to it, what do you see happen in families and partnerships and that sort of stuff? And how can we communicate it that this is what I'm doing now? Yeah, well, there can be resistance, especially if we've trained ourselves or been trained by those around us to be what I call or what psychology calls self-sacrificing people pleasers. Mm. And I'm a, I'm a recovering one of those, so I totally get it. <laughs> there can be pushback from yeah. everyone around us. It's, oh, well, hang on, I'm used to you doing everything for me or I'm used to you being a particular way and they might reinforce these messages that we've been getting. So there might be resistance. There might be challenge in our relationships and the people around us initially. But if we are willing and curious to stick with it, what will start to happen is, A, we'll start to feel better in ourselves Mm. because we're feeling more energized, because we're feeling better, because we're feeling calmer. And the people around us will start to see that. And they'll go, oh, I like that version of you a little better than the grumpy, cranky. I like that version of you better. Mm. And so they start to get curious and they start to see, you know, we demonstrate to them, oh, this stuff actually works. And I like being around you better, this Mm. version of you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's nice how it's ripple. I mean, it is ripple effect, isn't it? Mm. When you change you, it's amazing how much the whole world changes when it probably doesn't, but it's like your whole perspective is all you're carrying around. And I think that's the biggest thing to realise is that when, you know, when we do start to change how we feel and even, Mm. you know, the weight loss surgery does that, it helps with reducing inflammation and helping metabolic change and the endocrine system has a big reset and everything's kind of better than it has been. But we try to say too that it could be even better as we do these other components of the big circle we were talking about earlier. So it's Mm. all of those components all coming together. And it is, it's a wonderful thing of kind of feeling like you're actually, some people term it like landing on the planet for the first time because they just feel Mm. like they can be themselves and Mm. they're, like you say, the best version of themselves as well. I think that's pretty important. How does self-care relate to our eating patterns and our food intake and that sort of thing? What connections do you have there? Yeah, so that's the emotional stuff that we were touching on before that when we are tired or out of sorts or, you know, have some emotional discomfort going on, we may seek food for comfort because, you know, food releases feel-good hormones in our system. So it can give us that temporary relief from whatever emotional discomfort might be there. But then we know, you know, long-term that doesn't work. So we can look at our eating as an emotional comfort tool, if you like. 
So it can be helpful to start to acknowledge that and to start to think about, well, what other ways can I comfort myself? What other ways can I soothe myself? What else feels soothing for me? And it doesn't have to be big things. It doesn't have to be big things that take a long time. It might be, you know, I can go and cuddle my dog and that feels good. Or I can sit in the sun for a few minutes and that feels good. Or I can put on my favorite song and that feels good. It doesn't mean necessarily that it's going to overhaul my entire life, but it can just start to bring a little bit of ease and a little bit of comfort. And bit by bit, as we bring that in, it does start to shift how we feel over time. That's quite remarkable too, that a lot of people go, ah, it's just one little thing. It's just me sitting in the sun for a couple of minutes. What's that going to do? And I think when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, and we added in maybe three little different things that you do, and then we have four things that you do, like it's really quite transformational in that way when you look at, you know, sitting in the sun and then even thinking about how does that feel for me. Mm. I know, speaking from my own personal experience, I turned up at therapy in my 20s and I didn't actually know what feelings were. And she's like, how Mm. does that feel? And I started telling her what I thought. She's like, no, no, no. (laughs) So we started with a list of this is what a feeling is. These are the names you could give it. And my job was to go and find those Mm. and develop them into like a language. And that Mm. was really quite startling that, you know, you don't even know because you think. So I'm a great thinker. I'm not an awesome feeler. So it was taking Mm. me into a whole new place which was, yes, sometimes uncomfortable. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't even know what that feeling is. Mm. And the list didn't tell me. And I was like, God. So it was persistence in going Mm. back in Mm. and kind of getting an understanding of the disconnect. And Mm. I don't think that would be totally uncommon. I'm a fairly common kind of human. Yeah, I would say most people are the same. And I was exactly the same, Jackie. I can remember going to my first session and the therapist saying, That day, what are you feeling in your body? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Nothing. <laughs> you cook? What do you want? We're conditioned more and more to live from our neck up. Oh, you know, big we live, time. We live in our heads. We're on screens. We are yeah. so disconnected from everything that's happening from our neck down. It's this chronic pandemic of dissociation from our bodies. And yes, almost every client who comes through my door is the same. Isn't that (laughs) fascinating? So mindfulness was a revelation for me to start to actually drop awareness out of my head into my body. And what am I feeling? And not just emotionally, but what sensations, what is happening in there? Do I feel tense? Do I feel relaxed? Do I feel agitated? Do I feel energetic? You know, I didn't know any of that stuff. So I didn't know what felt bad and I didn't know what felt good. (laughs) Just all, it all is. And that's all it is. Yeah. And that's when, I think that's when life is happening to you, in my opinion, it's like, if you don't know what it is, how can you know what to do with it to even kind of make something good out of it? My first experience with mindfulness was mindfulness kind of meditation. And I wasn't someone who could sit still enough to do that. So they gave me like the washing dishes thing where you put your hands in the water and you notice and you keep looking and observing and looking at, you know, there's soap suds there and just running through your head what's there in front of you. Oh, the water's warm. There's soap suds on my hands. I've got the cloth. The cloth's yellow. Just noticing. And that I still can bring myself into that 
and it sounds weird at first, but it's mm-hmm. quite incredible what it does for your nervous system to do that. And I think the long-term gain is that if you can take some pressure off your nervous system for three or four minutes a day at a time, mm. long-term, it's it's only going to do you good. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really simple strategy. I call it sensory immersion or sensory awareness where mm. we tune into our five senses because we're so used to living in our head. We're not actually here, present in the here and now. So a simple way to practice this is just to ask yourself, what can I see, hear, touch, taste, smell? Mm. What can I notice with these five senses? And what that does is it instantly unhooks us from our thoughts and brings us into the present moment. And we can even invite ourselves to take a handful of deep breaths and that starts to drop us into our body. And those things start to turn on our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and relaxation system. It's the opposite of our stress system. Mm. Yeah, and to just do that for a minute, even just for a minute a day. (laughs) Which a lot of people Um, think is pointless, but it's actually, it's a huge thing. If you can do that, it makes a big difference. Yeah, because mindfulness practices and these practices that turn on our relaxation system have cumulative progressive benefits. So a minute here and a minute there and a minute there all starts to add up. It all starts to make a difference. Mm, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think people feel if I'm going to do this meditation thing, I'm going to have to sit still for an hour and it's pointless if I don't do long stints of meditation. But it's actually, and there's scientific proof that it's only those little moments that you need to actually make a long-term change. I talk a lot about the stress hormones and Mm. what they do for weight gain Mm. and what they don't do for weight loss. So it's those things like the sleep, even in sleep, when your um, breast and digest system is meant to be doing and restoring and relaxing. Mm. And then we've got some people who either can't sleep or don't sleep or work shift work. Mm. And they've proven that to be obesogenic and carcinogenic. So if you can calm things down for a, you know, a period of the day, even if you're not getting enough sleep, surely that's counterbalancing some of those other inflammatory kind of processes as well. Yeah, 100%. In the millisecond that we take one conscious breath, just one breath, in that moment, we are turning off the stress system and we're turning on that rest and digest system. Just with that one breath. It's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. And the minute we do that, we start to slow down the stress hormones that might be, you know, moving through the body. And we start to trigger the release of feel-good hormones, which starts to reverse that stress system. So we don't need to sit and meditate for an hour. Just take one, two, three, four deep breaths. You know, if you did a minute of breathing a day on a regular basis, it does start to add up and it does make a difference. Mm. It's amazing. And I posted it in our group today. There's actually a, a video of an MRI scan of someone taking deep breaths and showing the different impacts on the brain and, you know, the downstream effects of that. And they're saying that even, you know, through four minutes of that kind of diaphragmatic breathing and how that calms down vagus nerve, which is a big one. I think if we can do anything good for the vagus nerve, we're winning. But it is, it's tiny little things. And it's um, just being conscious of like belly breathing. You could do it in the car. 
You don't have to be sitting on a beautiful cushion with your meditation mat and your pyramid and you don't need any of that. You just need to realise that if you breathe into your belly, you're using that diaphragm and helping the nervous system to respond to it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I used to be a really anxious person. I was probably had, you know, any number of diagnosable anxiety disorders. That's <laughs> what leads us down the psychology yeah. path, isn't it? My, my stress <laughs> system was just, you know, firing yeah. all the time. Mm. And when I discovered mindfulness and meditation, it transformed my whole nervous system. And now, you know, people would describe me as a really calm person and I very rarely feel anxious or stressed now. And I really do put it down to, well, a lot of things, but primarily discovering this power of the breath and breathing and actually how it really does soothe the nervous system. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And and it's interesting to me how we don't know how on fire we are until we go you know, even make a small change. But like you say, I think that was one thing that saved me was yoga. And it doesn't have to be lying around on your back, kind of, I used to call it boring yoga. As I get older, I think it's actually quite nice. We'll call it restorative (laughs) yoga. Um, (laughs) I was more the ashtanga, stand on your head, handstand, see how far you can go kind of yoga. But that changed my life, even doing Mm. that. And just the daily, can I do this move today or how did I go? And it reminds me of golf. I think that's why people are attracted to golf. It's like Mm. one day you're on the golf course and things are incredible and the next day they're not so good, but you go back to see how you can do better or on the Incredibles Day you go back to see how incredible you can be the next day, but something pulls you back and I Mm. think it's that it's different every day and there's something new every day. But I think it's that, just taking yourself into that space. Yeah, anything that gets you out of your head just for a Mm. few moments because when we're spinning in our thoughts, you know, often they're stressful thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So just taking a holiday from our mind, even for a minute. (laughs) Yeah. And Um, do you use writing? Yeah, do you use writing and other techniques outside of just the meditation and that sort of thing? So I have a regular gratitude practice that I use just at the end of the day where I, you know, write a handful of things that I'm grateful for in the day. Yeah. So I find that really helpful. I'm not a huge writer. Some Mm. people love writing and they find that really cathartic. Different things for different people. But yes, some people report journaling and writing really helpful to reduce stress, you know, just to write down the things that are worrying them because what that does is again gets it out of the head Mm. onto the page and then it sort of tricks the mind that oh that's taken care of now (laughs) it's written down I don't need to worry about that so yeah writing things down can be really helpful definitely whether it's that kind of cathartic practice or whether it's a gratitude practice or whether it's a creative writing practice really helpful yeah Yeah. it's Mm. beautiful yeah if you're a list writer like I am you write a list and lose it it's a great way of clearing your head it's Mm -hmm. like done done it's like no it's a list you need to use the list but done (laughs) so I'm sure most people can relate write a shopping list leave it at home yeah great so helpful yeah Yeah. good yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and if we part on a tip that would be something you would encourage others to put into their daily routine what would it be I'd say find something that feels good, not Mm. something that I should do, but something that I want to do and do that. 
And again, it might be something small like playing with a dog. Maybe it's doing a puzzle. Maybe it's, oh God, my mind's going blank now, the stress of it all, Jackie. <laughs> Sorry, I put you on the spot. You'll have to go and meditate to get over the podcast. <laughs> Reading, people don't read anymore. Right. Like I love a good read, but I find myself, I'm on my phone. So those kind of things, like taking a technology holiday after 8 p.m. at night is a good move. So then I think that's where our creativity is being blocked is that we have constant distraction on offer in the palm of our hand. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, most of us probably watch TV a little bit Mm -hmm. while it's on, but Mm -hmm. still have the phone. Mm -hmm. So now we've got not one, like we usually watch TV to kind of switch off. Mm. And now we're sitting there with like not one screen, but two and maybe a conversation at the same time. So those kind of things, it's like being aware of and just taking those extra stressors away as well. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people say, I don't have time. This is just something else on my to-do list. (laughs) This is just something else I have to do. You know, they'll they'll get away from this podcast and go, well, I haven't got time to do that. Yeah. Sounds good, but I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Put that in the too hard basket. (laughs) Too hard. But if you can do one minute less of social media oh, yeah. and one minute of something that feels good, whatever that is for you, if you can do five or 10 or 15 minutes bonus, that's great. But we do lose so much time on our screens and it doesn't make us feel better. Mm. So if we can find something that does feel better and start to do one, two, five, 10 minutes of that each day, it does start to make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's not until you see it, I suppose, is it like it's, we say to our kids, don't sit there on your phone all day. And they're like, well, you do. So it's also being role model to the family. It's an interesting thing to try on self-care, putting yourself first, that sort of thing. And I think it's something that we should all do a lot more of and make time for it. And it doesn't have to be like you say, it's a moment or two. And if someone is feeling stuck and particularly, you know, lost, mm-hmm. Where can they find you? <laughs> oh, sure. Okay. So they can go to my website. They can connect with me there. They can find me on Facebook. They can find me there. At the podcast website, which will change shortly, but they'll all point to each other, the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. So awlspodcast.com. That's where we house all the show notes for all of our episodes. There's about 60 episodes now. And a lot of it is mindset. Like I really love to talk about this whole, all these different ways of helping with mindset after weight loss surgery, because I think it's a really big part of success and coming through it feeling amazing and looking after yourself becomes one of the biggest things, I think. So all the show notes are there and all the ways of contacting Emma Gray from the Mindfulness Sanctuary. I'm on your Facebook as well, and it's a wonderful group. And you even do just a little live streaming meditation from time to time. Yeah, often do meditations. If people want to go to my Facebook group, all the meditations that I've done are all in there that you can check them out. I'm also on Insight Timer, which is a free app where people can access my meditations. So I can give you all those details, Jackie, so people can meditate along for free if they would like to. Sounds great. One of the most popular meditations is my one-minute meditation. (laughs) Ideal. I might be able to do that. (laughs) Isn't that interesting how we're like, I've got a book, it's called Hurry Up and Meditate. Yeah, And I just thought I used to have it in my massage practice in Sydney and it was at the reception when people were waiting and it was like this book 
and most of my patients were hurry up <laughs> so I had this book there hurry up and meditate they loved it it was a very easy read so it was really yeah. helpful but yeah. one minute oh, you've got me I'm in yeah well, when I first started learning meditation that was about all I could do I can remember going to my first meditation class and everyone's sitting there really serenely and five minutes felt like a lifetime and I'm mm. like how are they doing this <laughs> quite incredible isn't it I did a meditation master course it was a week they taught us about five different techniques and how to teach them and it was like a three-day course we could run at the end of it and the same thing I was like sitting there looking around the room going am I meditating (laughs) are they meditating I think they're meditating they look like they're meditating I don't know if I am like it's this whole and I wanted to touch on that sorry before we go resistance So I think the one thing that gets in the way of meditation can be resistance because Mm -hmm. flow starts to happen when you're being mindfulness and doing your meditation and life becomes pretty wonderful if you do it Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. And then suddenly we go, all this wonderful, I'm not sure I can deal with. So we Mm -hmm. stop. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to touch on that with you. Do you think that's what happens? Does resistance come up to, well, this is looking a bit amazing. What do I do with it? People do do that for a variety of reasons, Mm. yeah, and it's interesting to notice that. Sometimes it's just because it's unfamiliar and it feels new and therefore unknown and therefore a little bit scary, so let me go back to my familiar comfort zone of discomfort. I know, I know. (laughs) Because that's what I know. So it's just sticking at it, practicing, and it does start to feel more comfortable and you do start to feel more ease and it does start to feel safer and then you can give yourself permission to do more of it. Yeah. yeah, they'll all be up at Vipassana for 10 days of meditation before we know it. The effects of this podcast, <laughs> that gives me heart palpitations just thinking about 10 days of no one else and <laughs> my thoughts. But the people I know who've done it are like, mm. it's game changing after you get past about day three, Mm-mm. change your life forever. And I agree with you when you say it transforms lives. I just mm. can't say enough about it. It's been proven for addiction. It's been mm. proven for, you know, lots of anxiety and stress disorders and all that sort mm. of stuff. But it's, yeah, I think it's underplayed for sure. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not here to sell meditation and, and no. there are lots of other things that people can do for self-care. So it's each to their own. It's whatever floats your boat. Yeah. But yeah, for me personally, and yes, the research shows there are mountains of research now that show how beneficial meditation and mindfulness can be for yeah. all aspects of our being. Yeah, beautiful. And so we'll be heading over to the Mindfulness Sanctuary group to get our quick hit of meditation every day. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and this kind of exploration of what it means to look after ourselves, particularly when we are so forced to be busy. It's like, how are you busy? Imagine if you said, how are you? I'm not doing much today. Like, how would that feel? I think that's something to try on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, that, good. that's I'm, how I live now. I live with lots of spaces in my day and it's great. haven't been happier. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. And it's lovely to reconnect. It's wonderful. So thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. And we'll leave all your contact details in the show notes. Beautiful. Thank, thank you, you, Emma Gray. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And just before you go, we would love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating and review. For other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration, come and drop into our Facebook community at BN Bariatric. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we hope you will share on your Facebook or Instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.